Well, amen. Well, the question's rhetorical. Uh, it's, it's asked simply for effect. The real answer, um, well, really, no real answer is expected uh, because the answer is known by Paul. He, he knows it already. And he's simply emphasizing or drawing attention to a particular point that he's trying to make in an effort to persuade the Galatians. Um, however, if, if we were to take that question and we were to apply it to ourselves or ask it of ourselves, or if we were to ask that question to others about ourselves, would the answer be as obvious? And if... And what if we asked it, not only of ourselves individually, but corporately, as a body? Are we seeking the approval of man or of God? The question may be difficult to answer. And it may be more difficult to answer because we live in such a celebrity culture. It seems that... Um, the allure of popularity and the desire for approval and acceptance uh, is tremendously powerful, uh, almost seductive. And because of that, our pursuit of that popularity, our pursuit of uh, the acceptance of others, the, 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 appro- the, the approval that we want from them, uh, that, that push or that, that, that desire is stronger at times or maybe more obvious than at others. Sometimes it's very, very obvious, and then other times it's more subtle. And, and if we're honest, we have to admit that sometimes uh, that, that striving for, that pleasing of man, and that striving for that acceptance and that approval can almost be masqueraded uh, by a, an attempt to seek the approval of God. Sometimes it's it's deceptive in that way, and it's not necessarily purposeful. Sometimes you know we're just we're well. It's a, it's a matter of self deception, and we don't actually know what's going on. And then other times, it really we still don't know what's going on. But it's more like blind spots, being unaware of our own hearts and desires and motivations. So our goal tonight, as we walk, and I say that because. I want us to know up front that our goal as we walk through these 15 verses is not to set up this grid uh, through which we would look and and raise up other churches against so that we might determine, uh, you know, or, or give them grades or or judge them. Uh, because the question is not, are they seeking the approval of man or of God? The question is, you know. Are we, or, or who are we seeking? Are we seeking the approval of man or God? And then we turn that around and his second question is, who are we seeking to please? And our outline is going to look like this. We're going to look at the question that we should ask in verse 10. We're going to look at the gospel we preach in verses 11 to 12. Uh, and then through the second half of 16 through 21. Then we'll look at the salvation we bear witness to. And the response that is produced. And that outline, of course, is found in the back of your bulletin. Uh, but before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for this, your word. We thank you for the reading of it a little earlier. And we pray now that we would be blessed. 
through the preaching of it. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you bend our wills to yours? And may we see Jesus high and lifted up. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you recall uh, from last week, Paul is angry. He's actually very angry with what's going on with the people in Galatia. They've been, they've been turning their backs on and retreating from the gospel and not only the gospel, but Christ himself. And they're buying into the false teaching of the Judaizers. They're buying into their gospel of grace and or, yeah, faith and works and their gospel of Christ and the law. And Paul has already said that that is another gospel. And actually, he said this is no gospel at all. And he says that because, and we understand that if, if Christ's work, his active and passive obedience um, is insufficient to save in any way. And if he was unsuccessful to save those that he came to save, there is no good news. And if we are responsible in any way, in any form, or any, in any fashion to save ourselves, that's also not good news. So what the Judaizers are preaching is not really a gospel at all because there is no good news. And a part of the Judaizers' argument was that they wanted to um, discredit Paul. Uh, they believed that because he hadn't been authorized by the apostles, uh, because they hadn't given the okay for his ministry or given the okay for his message, that he really needed to be quiet and that he didn't need to be listened to. Their goal was to dis- discredit him personally so that his message would be dismissed, so that they would listen to their message and not only listen to their message, but they, that they would follow them. They too were seeking the approval of others. And so to combat their attacks, Paul presents this autobiographical section from verse 10 to the end of chapter 20, uh, the end of chapter 2. And he begins with the question that we've already heard in verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And then, of course, he answers as we might expect him to. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So his point is very obvious. He, he's not seeking the approval of men. He's not seeking their acceptance in any way because it's, he says it's not possible for a servant, for a bondservant, or for a slave, for someone who has been purchased by the blood of Christ to seek simultaneously uh, the... To to seek the favor of God and to seek the favor of man. Or to seek to please God and to seek to please man. We can't look for the acceptance of God and look for the acceptance of man. You can't do both. It's it's an either or proposition. But what's really interesting in this question, he asks, he says, if I were still trying to please men. So he's been doing it before. Looking back and considering his life before Christ and now his life after Christ... He apparently realizes that all he's been doing, all that was going on before he was converted while on the way to Damascus, was not only this religious zeal, but it was also an attempt to please God or to earn God's favor, but it was also an effort to please men. 
Somehow he comes to that realization that all of his training and all of the positions that he held, uh, all that he had attained, all the prestige, everything that he had earned, um, everything that he, all the righteousness or really self-righteousness that he had exhibited was all in an effort to gain the acceptance and approval of others. And it had worked. He had gained a, a great following. He had gained a huge following in his Jewish circles. He was, in fact, a celebrity. People wanted to be around him. They wanted to be known by him. They wanted to be identified with him. He was probably the name that was dropped at all the parties. He was probably asked to speak at all the conferences and and graduations. His opinion was sought. His advice was heeded. But all that changed... All that changed. Now that he was a slave of Christ and a bondservant of his, having been redeemed and set free from the curse of the law and the bondage of sin, his heart had been changed. His life had literally turned around. And he was now living out of gratitude for the grace that God had exhibited to him By eliminating his guilt. The motivation changed. Having been approved and accepted by God in Christ, he was now he was now desiring and striving to please him in all respects. Not changing his position. That couldn't be changed. But simply serving out of gratitude. And in verses 11 to 24, he lays out, I think. I think we can break this down and there are three very objective ways in which he says he can verify that this is the fact. He says, I I am not pleasing man. I am pleasing God. And I can show you very clearly in three ways. He He wasn't putting himself out there to be followed. He wasn't trying to be braggadocious. He wasn't... um, He he was simply laying out an argument by doing this, laying out an argument where others would hear the gospel and believe the gospel. He was wanting to exalt Christ and not himself. And in verses 11 and 12 through uh, and then picking up halfway through 16 through 22, he lays out his first argument. And I think it can be summarized this way. I think we can hear Paul say it's obvious that I'm not seeking to please man. Because I'm not preaching a man-centered gospel. I'm not seeking to please man because I'm not preaching a man-centered gospel. Listen to verses 11 to 12 and then halfway through 16 on. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Paul's declaring in this passage And he's certifying that the gospel that he is preaching is not something that he was taught by others. It wasn't passed on through any type of normal human tradition. It was something that had been divinely revealed. As a matter of fact, he says it was revealed to me. uh, 
It was revealed to me by Christ, and everything that was revealed to me was about Christ. It wasn't something that he picked up on. It was something uh, through others. It was something that he received on the road to Damascus and then continued to receive for those three following years. It wasn't something that was brought about through some type of didactic interaction or some discipleship relationship between him and other disciples. He's, he actually did, he did see them and he did know them. He says he saw Peter and James, but he didn't learn anything from them. And we learn later on in chapter 2 that we'll look at next week that actually what they did was they affirmed him and his message because and really said that he was one of them because their message was actually the same. And the fact that his gospel was divinely revealed assured him that it wasn't an invention of man. And it couldn't be measured by any sort of human standard. And it didn't follow any human pattern. And and he knew that. He knew that the gospel had been created in the mind of God. Because had it been devised or created in the mind of man, it would have exalted man... It would have promoted man's lack of need. And it would, have, it would have exalted man's ability to work and to earn or to merit favor on his own, as all inventions of men do. But the gospel Paul preached, that we, that we read throughout the book of Galatians as we read in all of his letters, the gospel that he preached spoke of man's sin and separation from God. Paul's gospel spoke of man's lack of goodness, his lack of righteousness. It was full of man's desperation and inability to save himself. Paul's gospel was was clear that the law condemns rather than saves. It was clear that, that the law was powerless. Paul knew that the law was powerless. He who had fulfilled all of it, he knew that it was powerless to bring about what it demanded. And thankfully, he also knew that the truth of the gospel was that the law pointed to the Lord Jesus. Who not only took the curse of the law upon himself, but fulfilled every jot and tittle on our behalf. Paul's gospel that he preached exalted Christ. And there was nothing to be added to it. There was nothing to be subtracted from it. There was nothing to be substituted. And there was absolutely nothing to be earned. He was a champion for man's corruption and impotence and inconsistency and incompetence and insufficiency as far as salvation was concerned. But he was also just as much a champion, if not more, of Christ's complete all-sufficient and final work of salvation of all who would repent and believe in Him. And brothers and sisters, I think the question that we could ask ourselves or we should ask ourselves when we ask the question, who are we seeking to please? I think one way to answer would be how we answer this, this question as well. And really, there are two groups of questions. First, what gospel are we believing? What do we believe about ourselves? 
And what do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Lord Jesus? And in whom are we placing our trust? Are we placing our trust in ourselves? Or are we placing our trust in Christ? Are we seeking to please men? Or resting in God's pleasure of us in Christ? How we answer those questions helps us answer to that question. Are we seeking to please God or man? The second way, Paul, if we look down in verse 13, the second way he says he could objectively verify that he's not seeking to please man. uh, He says in verses 13 to 16, and again, I want to summarize this, but he says, I think it's obvious that I'm not seeking to please man because I'm not bearing witness to a man-centered salvation. Paul says, "I'm I'm not seeking to please man because I'm not... Bearing witness to a man-centered salvation. Look at verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. We've already said Paul was a Jew among Jews and his pedigree went way back. I mean, from his parents set him up. He was circumcised on the eighth day. And we read in his other letters that he um, they did everything they possibly could to point him in the right direction. They got him the education that he needed. They put him in the right circles so that he could rise to the top. And he had taken advantage of everything. And he was he followed the he followed all of the law. He followed all of the extra traditions, both written and oral that the Pharisees had set up. He wasn't missing a beat. And he had, as a celebrity, he had a following. People were following him. He was prideful and arrogant. Uh, His zeal for the law and all things Jewish. As well as this new gospel that undermined everything that he had been doing. Created an extreme hatred for Christians. He despised them. He despised what they were doing, the message that they were sharing. It was a violent persecution. The best case scenario, as far as Paul was concerned, if, if, if a believer encountered Paul, the best case scenario was to be pulled from their home and thrown in prison. He was adamant. But all of this was a result of spiritual blindness. All of it was the result of a dark heart. He was an enemy of God and was opposed to the gospel and the Christ of the gospel. And in his own words that he wrote that we studied last fall in the book of Ephesians, he admitted that he was dead in his trespasses and sins. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of his flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and was by nature a child of wrath. He admitted it. He knew it. But again, looking back, Paul knew that God had set him apart. 
Paul says he set me apart before I was born. He set him apart before the foundation of the world. At some point in eternity past, God had set his love upon Paul. Despite what he would do and anything that he would do. And, and despite everything that he wouldn't do. And really despite everything that he didn't do. And at the right time. At the right time, the father chose to reveal Christ to him. At the right time, the Father chose to save him and restore him. Paul knew that his salvation was also... It's, it's, he knew that his experience, his salvation was more than just external. Paul was saved by more than just seeing Christ on the road to Damascus. And we know that because in verse 16, where it says, He, pleased, he was pleased, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Actually, the Greek there says he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Paul knew that God had sovereignly intervened that day. But he had intervened more than just on the road. He had intervened within his heart. Paul knew that Christ had been revealed in him. And at that point, he had been moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. He knew that the Spirit had worked within him. Nothing else could explain the radical change that took place. God had taken his heart of stone and given him a heart of flesh. His external circumcision that was such a mark of, of inclusion and piety. Actually at this point, now finally... Pointed to the internal reality that his heart had been circumcised. And it's remarkable. I I think it's remarkable because he was united to the one he was despising. God had united him to Christ because it was Christ's merit that would save him, not Paul's. All of Paul's zeal and law following and tradition upholding, uh, everything that he did did nothing but dig a deeper hole out of which he could not get by himself. Paul understood the sovereign grace of God. That's why he would say later on in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith. And this, not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. He knew it. He was a living, breathing testimony of God's grace. He was a billboard displaying the truth that no one was beyond the hope and forgiveness of God. At all. And he knew that the Lord had saved him at just the right time, at just the right place to preach to the Gentiles and bear witness to a God-centered salvation. And brothers and sisters, the question that we, we are asking, who are we seeking to please? That question, again, can be answered as we answer these questions. To what salvation are we bearing witness? Is it man-centered? Is it a man-centered salvation or is it a God-centered salvation? Are we testifying of our choosing of God or of God's choice of us? 
Are we testifying about some external experience or some internal miraculous transformation? Are we testifying of our wisdom and our insight that led to some smart, smart decision on our part? Or are we testifying of the love and grace and mercy of God that led to an undeserving rescue of sinners on his part? To what salvation are we bearing witness? Well, the third way he objectively verifies this is in verses 22 to 24. And again, my summary Here Paul saying it's obvious I'm not seeking to please man because my life and my preaching are not producing a man-centered response. I am not seeking to please man because my life and my preaching are not producing a man-centered response. Look at verse 22. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of Paul. His celebrity status had changed. He was famous in Jewish circles. He was infamous in Christian circles. And now he was being talked about, but only secondarily. They heard his story. They heard how he used to persecute and prosecute those who had embraced faith and professed faith in Christ. And it was that same group that he was now an advocate for and defending. There was amazement on everybody's part, I'm sure. But but the response was not to vault him to this place of celebrity. And to put him up on this pedestal. Their response was to glorify the Lord. To glorify God. Their attention wasn't on Paul. It was on Christ. Their amazement was not at what he had done. But what the Lord had done in him. And was now doing through him. He wasn't looking for power and prestige. And a position in this new movement. He simply wanted to preach Christ. And him crucified. Because he knew the gospel was the power unto salvation. That was his goal. And again, brothers and sisters, when we ask ourselves, who are we seeking to please? We can look at this and we can ask ourselves these questions. What response are we trying and attempting to elicit from others? What response is being produced by the gospel, by our gospel and our lives? Are we wanting to be praised or are we wanting God to be praised? Are we being praised or is God being praised? Are we wanting glory ourselves or are we wanting God to be glorified? Are we being glorified ourselves or is God being glorified through our testimony? And again, let, let me say as we wrap up, again, I, I, far be it. I, I have no desire to set up a grid. And for us to look through that grid and judge everybody else. And I'm also not wanting that grid to be set up so that we can turn around and look back on us and be puffed up. I'm simply, I simply believe we ask these questions so that we might always make much of Christ. Always make much of the gospel. Always make much 
of the glory of God. And I say that because, listen, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Did you hear the children? We learn very early on. We, we seek the approval and acceptance of others. We seek to please man in every form and fashion, every walk of life. And I'll be perfectly transparent. I feel it every week. I feel it in conversations that I have. I feel, I feel it every week as I prepare to preach. I feel it when I talk to other pastors. I feel it when I listen to other sermons. There's something inside me that's drawn to the idea of pleasing man and gaining approval and acceptance. Something, something in me that feels like that the, the approval of others is needed to validate me and my ministry and the planning of this church. But I don't think I'm alone. I think we all do it. I think we also all fall in, fall prey to, to feeling as though we can earn God's favor in some way and change our position or maintain our position in some way, overlooking the work of Christ, diminishing the work of Christ, and somehow taking that responsibility back on ourselves. And we may feel that and experience it in different ways, but I think we all experience that struggle. The feelings are the same, though they, they may manifest themselves differently. Because of that, I feel it's incumbent that we always help one, one another remember that we do not need the acceptance and approval of others because we have been fully accepted and approved of by God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. May we always help one another remember that like Paul, Jesus has revealed himself in us. Jesus has revealed himself in us by the Spirit. And we should always look to him because guess what? Looking to Christ is what pleases the Father most. Looking to Christ. You want to know how to please the Lord. Out of grace and out of the grace that He's shown you and the gratitude, the best way to do it is to look to Christ. May we always remember that we have been given divine revelation in His Word. And that He blesses us through that Word and through His sacraments, which are simple but divine means of grace. We don't have to be pragmatic. And may we always remember and point others to Christ and not to ourselves. Right? Point them to Christ, not to yourself. I need to point others to Christ, not to myself, because they don't need our, they don't need us uh, to accept them or approve of them. They don't need to please us. Right? They need the, the love and the, or they need the acceptance and approval of God. They need to please Him. And what? The only way to do that is in and through Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, may we individually and corporately always, always rest in and preach a Christ-centered gospel, a God-centered salvation. And may we always, in everything that we do in our ministry, may we do it for His glory and the good of the people. Let's pray together.